it's not more of a focus. It just becomes a balance between the two of acquisition and retention. Like there are things that you could do on either side that would influence the others. Welcome to Touchpoints, a show where we celebrate the stories of direct-to-consumer leaders, marketers, and operators that are creating breakout brands in the digital era. I'm Yao Enning. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Malomo, a shipment tracking platform that believes in helping brands drive deeper relationships with customers. In e-commerce, it's becoming increasingly important to not just acquire customers, but retain them. With paid advertising skyrocketing, the brands that experience breakout success are the ones that can quickly turn one-time buyers into repeat purchasers. In fact, according to RJ Metrics, the top performing e-commerce brands go from 20% repeat buyers in year one to 60% by year three. The question is, how do you do that? What changes need to happen in your business to get customers coming back to your store to buy from you again and again? When thinking about retention, email marketing is usually viewed as the holy grail in getting customers back to your site and buying more. And while that's true for most brands, there are many more things you can do to drive repeat purchases to scale your business. Today we get an inside look at how Ollie, a subscription-based DTC brand that sells freshly cooked and customized dog food, achieves this. Despite being a subscription model, where it may seem like repeat purchases would come automatically, Ollie must employ a set of tactics and strategies to ensure customers aren't canceling their subscription. These tactics can be used to drive retention at any DTC brand. Today we hear from Eric Chung, Ollie's Director of Retention. Eric oversees the entire customer experience with the goal of ensuring customers continue their subscription with Ollie over time. Through his experience, Eric has gained a specific set of skills to not just analyze customer behavior and how it's affecting retention, but also how to turn that analysis into actionable solutions. This role is a marketing role, but as Eric explains, he has to work with and influence every single touch point a customer has with Ollie, from how the customer first hears about the brand to their 10th shipment of Ollie goods and on. Eric kicks off the episode describing the things that fall under his purview as the director of retention. Really under retention, um, the things that fall under have to do with anything to keep a customer as a subscriber after they sign up. Um, so that's anywhere from uh, the actual customer insights and understanding what their experience is like to the engagement with the customer around marketing and education on the plans, but then also the physical product experience. So how the food is delivered, how it arrives, how you unbox it and store it and how you feed it, anything that um, touches that part of the experience like day to day, because our customers are using our product two times a day, like that physical part is really important. Um, how they serve it, how the food looks, um, all things like that. And then the digital experience as well, because we're a subscription business, um, there's a lot of adapting and flexibility that people want to have with their plans. So if you think about dog food, it's where a subscription food product, but it's not like a blue apron or a plated where you're, you're sort of relying on Ollie every single day to feed your dog. So it has to arrive on time but if you're on holiday or 
anything like that. You want to be able to shift your box, um, get it earlier or get it later, send it to a different address. So that digital component is also really important for you to be able to change up your plan whenever you want. Um, or if you want to change the recipes, your dog is changing, so you want the, the plan to reflect that as well. So um, it really goes across the physical experience, digital experience, the insights that come out of that, how we service people from a customer experience standpoint. I chose Ollie really for the stage of the company and then the mission of the company and what we're doing here. Um, I was always into the innovation world and about changing consumer behavior, changing industries that were really big and doing something really new. And it felt like that's what Ollie was doing. Ollie has a mission of putting healthy dog food in every dog bowl. Um, so to be able to change the entire industry where it's a big trend that's going on where people are uh, sort of treating their dogs like a member of their family. They want to feed them well, and the industry today doesn't really do that. Um, so that's like one big plus that was in it for me. And then in order to do that, we're changing so many things about how you feed your dog and what you need to do. So there's a lot of education in that, um, a lot of things that you have to bring the customer along in. Um, and to me, that creates like a really interesting role, especially in retention. Um, so yeah, it, it had to do with being able to change an industry, work at a stage of the company where we're doing something really exciting and really growing. Um, and then also that ability to continue to work across a lot of different functions in a role where um, in retention, you have to think about marketing, you have to think about the customer insights, you have to think about the physical experience and the digital experience that um, everyone is going through. So um, all of those things really attracted me to the role. When I think about um, some of my past experience and what helps me with my role in Ollie today, um, I think back at two things. So um, it's really understanding consumers and working across different functions. So with launching new products and businesses and thinking through what's right for consumers, you really have to be comfortable with insights and that design process. Um, so all different types of research that is possible and the right questions to ask, the right way to ask them to really dig deep and figure out what our customer needs and how to think about customer experience in the right way. Um, not just from like a support standpoint, but really thinking through their journey as a customer and like what are the moments that you're solving for, how should they feel in all those different moments. Um, and then once you have those insights, like being able to create the product or experience that is right for them. So working across different teams, whether that's technology, operations, um, R&D, like making sure that all those teams are working together towards like the same goal and then working through all the trade-offs that always happens because you could define like exactly what's right for the consumer. But when you get to actual implementation, there are always trade-offs that you have to make, whether um, there was a supplier that didn't work out or um, it's going to cost too much to do a type of experience or like one experience would cause you to create a worse experience somewhere else. So you have to make, think through those decisions. So um, I think in my past experiences and roles, like doing all that um, and having a lot of reps through different products and businesses doing that um, definitely helps today at Ollie. To set the foundation, Eric walked us through what the experience is like as a new Ollie customer. With all the changes he's trying to implement, 
He first labors over all the details of the current experience and all the touch points that roll up into that experience. Customers, after they find out about Ali, um, they go through our website to sign up, um, and it starts off by us getting to know your dogs so we can personalize your meals for them. Um, so we understand their breed, their age, whether they're spayed or neutered, um, how much they weigh, how much their ideal weight should be or where you want them to weigh, um, their body composition, as well as like what they're currently eating. So from there, it helps us understand things like how many calories your dog needs to be healthy. Um, and then you go into choosing your recipe, um, choosing how much you want to feed your dog. So um, how much Ollie you want to feed your dog. So Ollie's pretty flexible in that you could feed your dog entirely 100% um, real, natural, human-grade dog food from Ollie, or you could uh, decide to start mixing it in to your regular food. So you could get a 50% plan where you're using half of Ollie's food and then half of another food. Or you could sort of sprinkle Ollie on top to make their current food more appealing and get some of the health benefits for them. So um, we have different types of meal plans so that people can ease into changing the way they feed their dog. Um, and then from there, after you've made your selection, you get your first trial box, which is two weeks worth of food. Um, so that will include the food itself, but also we have um, a scoop that helps you serve the food out, um, a pup tainer that, that allows you to store the food in your fridge more nicely um, so that you, don't, you can keep it separate from all the, the rest of your food in your fridge. Um, so from there, people um, go into a subscription experience with us. In terms of the plans, like we tell you exactly how much calories your dog needs, and then we size the meals exactly for that. Um, in terms of choosing the recipes, like beef is our most popular recipe, so we definitely tell people that. Um, then you get a choice out of beef, chicken, lamb, or turkey. Um, and later on as a customer, like we, we do some education on like if your dog is loving beef, like they'll probably love like this other recipe as well. Um, and then from there, it's really about like how much, how much percent of the plan you want to want to feed your dog at that moment. So like a hundred percent plan, you'll get the best value out of it um, because you're ordering more food. Um, but you're, you're also paying more. So some people, they might, they might want to ease into that, so they might start at a lower percentage plan. Eric is successful at what he does based on his ability to see trends in customer behavior and then adapt the experience to meet those needs. He's got to have an understanding of not just how to analyze the data customers are sending his way, but also actively conduct research to figure out how he can provide a better experience without the customer explicitly telling him what that experience should be. So I'm actually a customer of Ollie, and I shared with Eric an experience I had recently. We're heading to New York, and my, my wife and um, our little eight-month-old daughter is, are, are joining us uh, for the trip. And my, my wife, um, that exact problem came up where she's like, oh, man, I forgot the, like, uh, the food's coming and had to reschedule. And that's such a, that's such a nice feature to just like, have that, that really easy channel to switch up. Uh, when the meal is coming, because uh, you can kind of with a subscription, you can kind of forget. Um, yeah, it's so automatic. But uh, that's 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 an awesome feature. Yeah, and that's an example where like something like that that happens where your wife forgot. Like that's a part of the experience that I would want to improve. Like so, we 
we just launched like a shipping soon email where you now know right before your box is coming. So you have an opportunity to change the recipe that's included in it or like move that box early or move that later. Um, you could change the address that's delivered to on time so that you're not forgetting that it's coming already. Um, and it just leads to a better overall experience. So those are the things that, um, that re the retention row really is about. For Eric, figuring out how early or late to time that type of notification is an important part of delivering a happy customer experience. It comes with when's, when do we think is enough time for someone to change it. So if I alert you through email, like just thinking through the actual, like putting yourself in the customer's shoes and thinking through like, if I had a box coming, like how much time would I need ahead of that in order to remember to like log into my account and make a change before it comes. Um, so just from being more empathetic about it and talking to customers. Um, so we've learned that anywhere from one to three days, it's like, that's how much time you would want, depending on how often you receive the box. Um, so when someone gets an alert, like they typically like have three, three days to go and make a change um, before it gets packed and shipped out to them. Um, so yeah, it has to do with like knowing how long they have between boxes and how likely they are to forget about it and how much time like in people's busy lives they need to, to go and remember to make that change if they need to. A lot of um, uncovering insights from that starts from the fact that we're a direct-to-consumer company. Um, we have relationships, direct relationships with all our customers where they're reaching out to our customer experience team um, or I'll have conversations with some of our most engaged customers um, pretty often. So um, things might bubble up where people are saying, oh, I forgot to make changes to my box. Can I change them now? But it was already shipped out. Like the more we hear that, we start gathering data on it, um, and we start realizing, oh, this is a big problem that should be prioritized because we'll have a much better improvement on experience if we fix it. Like we're hearing this a lot directly from our customers, so um, that'll help identify the problem. And then depending on how much work is included in fixing that, like that might warrant like doing more investigation around it. So. I might go and interview some more customers to see like what's the context behind that. Um, is that really a problem or is something else driving it? And if we were to improve that, what's the best way to improve that? Um, then that would lead down to, okay, what are potential solutions? And we could A-B test that solution as well. So um, for something like this email, like that might be something we test with the smaller audience at first to see does that actually drive them to make those changes and are they getting a better experience out of that? And if that's the case, then we launch it with everyone. Um, so because we're direct to consumer, we get to hear the problems that bubble up and then we could then like easily and quickly test and see what's working and change it up if we need to and then put it in place. As Eric collects feedback from customers, he's got to decipher which are the most important to tackle that will move the retention needle. The way I prioritize, like, what are all the things that we need to fix? Um, I look at drop-off and churn. So basically, if you look at the entire life cycle of different customers, you could break that down. And we're always gathering data on why people might be canceling, why they might be pausing their boxes, um, and use that data to really understand, okay, someone who 
um, has only been a customer for two weeks versus a customer who's been around for a month or three months or six months, like what are the biggest reasons why they might be canceling? Um, and that helps me prioritize if I fix this one thing, I'm going to have a much bigger impact on what our retention looks like. Uh, so I use that to prioritize the specific area that we're, we might work on. Um, and then that's all data driven. But then from there, you need context of like, I've identified the problem, but what's actually wrong with it and what do I need to solve? That's where talking to customers, doing surveys to get that context around like, what's the pain point you're trying to solve for really comes in. Um, and once you have that, you might need more research to understand like how people are reacting to that solution that you came up with. Um, so you might do like in-home research to understand that you might have conversations with them over the phone or bring them in for a focus group or one-on-one -on -one conversation uh, to see if that solves actually working. And then uh, you might pilot it with a smaller group. That's another data point that you do. So in each of those stages and types of research and learning that we're getting, it's, it's almost like you're getting a higher level of confidence that it's going to work um, and sort of getting more information at each stage. To elicit unbiased feedback, Eric has to position his questions in specific ways. It's less about asking people directly what they want. Um, and I think a lot of people say this, say this um, especially like in the innovation world, you think of Clay Christensen, like he always talks about jobs to be done where you're digging through what's the actual thing that this person's trying to solve for versus asking them if they need it or not. It sort of applies the same when you think about dog food and humans versus the dog. It's, it's less asking them what they're looking for, but uh, more, let's say we're taking food um, and what the food looks like, for example. If I wanna understand like how we should, how the food should look when it arrives to a customer, I'm not directly asking them to describe it to me. It's more um, breaking down those components of like, do you wanna see more ingredients or what's the right type of texture you wanna see? It's, understanding that like how do you know your dog likes the food and then they might say it's based on their reaction or the way they eat and things like that and then from there like sort of digging through like how how they get there um like what are the cues that drive them to think that way um and then using those insights to then determine like what we create uh, so it's less directly asking people what they want but more understanding what drives that it's like trying to get at what are their actual needs or pain points based on what they're saying. So not really taking the solution right away um, at face value, but really understanding why a customer might be suggesting a solution and what drove them there. And then maybe sometimes like this, the solution that they're offering is right, um, but maybe like that, the reason why they came up with that solution was caused by something else in, in the experience and you want to get to like the actual meat of it of of why they feel that way so that you could solve that versus um, just creating a lot of solutions where you don't really understand what's driving it. Ollie has a unique challenge. They must market the product to the human, but the consumer of the end product is the dog. For Eric and his team, they have to think about the needs and wants of both audiences even though only one audience can verbalize those needs. Yeah, so we have to think about um, the human and the dog pretty differently when it comes to creating 
like products are like marketing towards them. So if you think about the food, for example, the human might see the food one way, but it might taste completely different for a dog. So what works for um, the palatability of the food for a dog versus how the food might look to a human can be huge trade-offs. Um, so the way we handle that is you really have to test with both audiences. So um, you could test food with dogs, like literally do taste tests like that and see um, does one recipe work better than the other? Are we doing a lot better than the alternatives out there? Um, so we look at that a lot. Um, but then you also want to talk to customers and see like, how are they reacting to the food? So there's always that balance and middle ground, like the food has to look good enough for the human to want to buy it and feed it to their dog. But then the dog has to react in a certain way so that the owner then feels like, Oh, they really like it. And I want to keep buying this for the dog. So um, there's always thinking about both those audiences and they're usually not on the same page or could not be on the same page. And the insights themselves, they're coming from the human. So all the insights are really being filtered through that human lens. Yeah, there are types of research where um, you could see the feedback from the dog. Like if you're putting two bowls of food in front of a dog and they're way more excited to eat one versus the other, you could see that. Um, but when it comes to talking to our customers and when they're saying that their dog likes the food or really loves it or like doesn't like the food, like it's really how the owner's interpreting it. Um, and sometimes you have to trust that they know what their dog likes, but yeah, like it could be maybe they, they need to warm up the food or something or fluff it up or um, mix in some, some other like food with it. Like that'll, that'll change things up a little for the dog. Like there, there could be a lot of things that drive a dog to react a certain way that the human doesn't always know. Eric joined Ollie as its first director of retention. At the time, there were a couple things happening inside the business that caused Ollie leadership to realize, we really need somebody leading this charge. What's happening inside the company that I think led to, we need someone to own retention, it, it has to do with the stage of the business. I think with any business in the beginning, you're trying to get people in and you're trying to see what works. Like, are people even interested in this product? Can we get them to put money towards it and pay for it? Can we get them as customers? Um, but with any subscription business, like the way you could drive that model and get a lot of growth is the people you're paying to come in, you're actually keeping and retaining them. Um, so I think it's realizing that if we can improve the experience um, and create a better product for people, understand what keeps people as customers and what drives people to leave, um, and we could improve the product based on that. We're growing a lot faster. Like everyone we're bringing in, they're more likely to stay. We don't have to go and spend a lot of money to recruit more customers and acquire them. So um, yeah, I think it had to do with the stage of the business and then realizing like how important retaining a customer after you bring them in is, especially for a subscription product. At a certain point, does retention become more of a focus for a company than acquisition? It's not, it's not more of a focus. It just becomes a balance between the two of acquisition and retention. Like there are things that you could do on either side that would influence the other. So if you're going after much higher quality leads, like that might lead to better retention, but 
um, on the front end, like that's probably a smaller pool of customers that you're going after. Um, so at the end of the day, your net result might be lower. So there's always balances on either side, like, or you might have an initiative on the acquisition side that pulls in a lot more subscribers, but um, let's say a really high discount or something like that might pull in a lot of people in the beginning, but they might not retain really well over time. Um, or you might do something on retention that actually might help acquisition as well. So if we're going through an effort of like launching a new product for, for existing customers that would keep them around longer, that might attract like different customers on the acquisition side as well. So I, I think it's really a balance between the two and being able to work together on the acquisition and retention side versus like it being becoming more focused later on. Retention does sit on their marketing in our company, but it does stretch across a lot of the different organizations. So the reason why I think retention is sort of its own department is that it, it really just touches everything. So um, when you need to change up the experience to retain customers better, that could be on the tech side, it could be on the operation side, it could be on the customer experience side, could be on um, the physical product. Like there's so many different parts of the business that influence retention that it's hard to like keep it in one bucket. Uh, so it really, it really is a cross-functional role where I'm working with different people on the team for all different initiatives all the time. Um, so having like one team or one person who has a handle on, on all that and able to prioritize like what are the projects that will impact us the most and then who do we need to bring together to get this initiative going. Um, that's sort of why it, it needs like its own function in my mind. Consumer insights are the driving force behind a DTC brand. The better you understand your customers, the more you can give them what they need and want. Once you have those insights, you must quickly turn them into action to solve customers' problems. Eric has mentioned that retention is not siloed. It actually impacts every other part of the business. So when he wants to implement a new retention strategy or tactic, he has to get multiple departments in agreement working together. One recent example of this was a packaging redesign project that required significant involvement from multiple teams within Ollie. I noticed Ollie changed their packaging quite a bit when I received my last few boxes, so I asked Eric how the new packaging came to be and why they decided to change it up. The new packaging project we worked on, um, it's a lot more than just packaging. It's really, we redid our whole experience um, on how, how people use our product and what they get. Um, so what we did was really think about like the customer insights that were coming in and what the feedback was with our current experience and our current packaging and trying to improve all things like throughout the journey. So how something holds up in delivery, how much space efficiency you have when you're storing our food, and then how easy it is to serve. Uh, we wanted to improve all that while also maintaining all the elements our customers really love, like our personal touch that we have and the playful tone that we have with our customers. So um, really thinking through that was the challenge. Um, and what we did was launch new packaging that wasn't just the physical like, thing that the food was stored in, but uh, we changed the way that you're storing it, the way that you portion your food and make it a lot easier. Um, we changed the number of SKUs that we have so we could be 
more accurate around like what you're feeding your dog as well as like how how you serve it and portion it out. Um, so all those things were, were part of the change. So the consumer insights that led to the new packaging, a lot of that came from being a direct consumer business as, as I was saying before, where we have these direct relationships with our customers. We're always collecting feedback on how someone's delivery went so they could tell us if issues happened or um, they're reaching out to the customer experience team to let, let us know if, if they have a problem or what they don't like. So we were hearing a lot about, um, so in transit, like our old packaging, um, instead of our new packaging is more vacuum sealed. Before that, it was in more plastic trays that, that had some, a seal on top. So what was happening on delivery is sometimes when you're delivering frozen food with nice pack, like things could get cracked in delivery. So some customers would receive cracked trays um, and that might lead to problems down the road. Like it's more wasteful. Um, we'd, we might have to throw out the food. Um, the packaging itself like felt bulkier and more wasteful. So we heard that from customers through the delivery experience feedback, as well as um, people contacting our, our customer experience or canine care team. Um, so that was one thing. And then um, customers would call into a lot to ask about how to serve or portion the food. So before we had a scoop that you would use to measure how much food to feed your dog, that scoop was personalized for what your dog needs. But we realized that people might fill that scoop in different ways. So if you picture like measuring a cup of brown sugar, like you could pack it really tight in that spoon or you could loosely pack it. So that same spoon could measure out different amount of food and that didn't drive like an ideal experience. Um, so those are those were the problems that sort of came out of um, talking to our customers and tracking the data that came in through our customer experience team as well as like why people were canceling. We, we knew there were problems that were worth fixing uh, on the consumer side and generally people were on the same page that it needs to be fixed. I think how to solve it was a lot of cross-functional effort. So um, even though it was problems for the consumer and fixing those would improve the customer experience. Um, I think what helped a lot is there were benefits and costs on a lot of different parts of the business because we weren't, weren't just changing the packaging and changing the whole, whole thing. Um, it not only led to better experience for customers, but it also helped drive different business metrics because we also had the opportunity to rethink like how many SKUs we had, um, how often we ship the product, um, what types of material we're using, um, all things like that. So it helped drive other benefits for the business as well. Um, but then it also had to include a lot of different teams. So on the tech side, we had to think about how do you map customers to these, this, these different plans that drive the new experience? Um, how do you source the, the new material for the packaging? on the operation side, how does that change like the whole supply chain on how, how that food is packed, how the facilities pack the boxes um, from a design standpoint, like what does the new packaging look like? Like what, what's all the education that has to go around it um, on the marketing side? Like how do we teach people about this new experience? So um, all those teams have had to work together and we had to make trade-offs between all our teams on, um, 
what did what would what kind of change would help operations a lot versus what kind of change would help the customer experience a lot and sort of finding um, the right times to to make trade-offs on those balances. When Ollie brought the teams together to figure out whether to invest in new packaging or some other part of the experience, they had the right data to know that this was an initiative we're solving. The teams had to then decide how best to solve this issue. I think generally we're on the same page of this being an important problem to solve today because we had the data that showed um, how many people were, were saying these were issues and we had the data to show that um, people were canceling for several number of reasons and if we improved those we could get a higher lift on our retention or LTV. Um, and like I said, like it also improved other parts of the business. So I think more of the conversation was around the actual solutions that came out. So um, what's the right packaging to go with? And as we think about the new experiences, like what types of decisions do we want to make on things like how many trays of food are included in your box or how heavy should that box weigh? Like all those types of specific questions was where we, we had more conversation around. With this project being so consumer facing, I was curious how something like this rolls out and is tested with customers. So there were phases with testing. So what our team did was um, go in to do a lot of in-home research to understand like what's the experience that people have today with the product and where could that be improved? Um, and then tested things like concepts or prototypes with them. So without having to launch new packaging, you could test how customers might react to prototypes or drawings of new packaging. Um, and from there, they learned a bunch of things on what might work, might, what might not work. Um, and then when we were actually ready to launch, we have a group of customers who are, are more engaged customers. So I was able to test that with them and send them a few boxes to try out the packaging before we launched it with everyone else. So um, there were some quick things that we learned. Uh, it wasn't anything that stopped us from launching, but they were like improvements that we knew we could make and things that we knew we should keep an eye out on and make sure that we track with all our other customers going forward um, before we launch. So yeah, having that like really engaged group that we could send things to before we launch with everyone and get feedback on was pretty, pretty helpful. How do you measure the success of something like packaging? Uh, so there's a lot of measurement going on. Um, we are tracking new packaging feedback right away with customers. Like after they receive the box, they, they answer a survey um, that it goes through all the things that we wanted to improve on and asking them if they've actually noticed a difference in that and if not, why? Like what are the things that they have problems with with the new packaging? Because a lot of times when you change something, like you might fix 10 things, but three other things might go wrong. So we're keeping track of that. Um, on the retention side, we're making sure that we're retaining people better than we were before, um, just from like a more larger scale like data standpoint, like we can know if this is actually making an impact. Um, and then we continue to talk to people like in one-on-one -on -one conversations on what are the problems that they're experiencing with the new packaging, what do they like better or worse, um, things like that. It would seem as though after a customer subscribes, it's a pretty straightforward process. Package is delivered to the door, customer uses the product, the whole thing just continues on autopilot. 
but Eric describes this otherwise. If you're a subscription that everyone is using all the time, you have to work with their life. And when the dog changes and you need to update like their weight or how much fruit they should be eating, like that requires going on the website. If you're going on holiday or you move, that requires going on the website. If you forgot to serve the food and you need to push your box back, you have to go on it. Um, if you, for some reason, like let's say there are customers who split um, their dog between two houses and they might have food in one place and food in the other and they might run out, they might need to move the box early. So there's a lot of things that the digital experience helps makes the subscription better. Um, so it's really both that, that people um, are involved in even after they become a customer. This is Yao Enning. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed creating it. Huge thanks to Eric for sharing his story. You can find out more about Ollie at myollie.com. The Touchpoint series is brought to you by Malomo, a shipment tracking platform that lets retailers create magical moments that drive engagement with customers after they buy. To learn more about Malomo, go to www.gomalomo.com. That's G-O-M-A-L-O-M-O. To listen to other episodes in this series, search on your favorite podcasting app or visit gomalomo.com.